Okay, now I'm ready. Today is Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. Time for episode 199 of the Born Heart Podcast. And it is election day. Did you go out and vote for all the school board members in your local area? <laughs> you funny. <laughs> no, I sure didn't. Just uh, so off the whole voting thing. I mean, it's it's gotten down to where I'm not even... I'm not even on board for the local stuff anymore. Just no, I'm 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 done on that. I actually that, emailed uh, I actually emailed the local election boards and said, "How do I get off the voter registration roll altogether?" And my my thought on wow. this is, it, the voting doesn't matter anymore, and it's it's just more harassment because I get random text messages and and emails and and um, stuff from people wanting my vote, and apparently I have to write out a handwritten letter or or a hard copy letter and sign it and send it to the election board. I guess the, the you have side, to formally apostatize from democracy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it, apparently so. And I, I am curious, though, because getting on the voter roll is what gets you on the um, the jury registry as well. So I wonder if I drop off the voter roll, if I also drop off the jury registry. Kind of curious about that. Oh, no, you'll go to the top of the line. This <laughs> what will happen. You'll be summoned for jury duty every four months now. <laughs> But then if I make if if I make a point during voir dire, it's like, wait a minute, I I refuse to even engage in this system. I've even renounced my right to vote. Do you really want me on a jury? Won't that get me kicked off the jury? And I'm not I'm not doing it to be a jerk or or to to be a fake like some of the people who make up excuses to try to get themselves removed. It's like, no, I don't want to be part of this thing anymore. Um, it won't get it probably won't. You'll probably get some some cheese bag lecture from the judge and you'll probably start getting regularly audited by the irs i would think if you did that hmm. call me cynical but that's what i suspect would happen and while the locals should not have anything to do with the federals where i live i wouldn't be surprised if there's a connection oh there's always a connection everything's connected yeah. you probably you would probably get flagged as um um, one of those crazy sovereign citizens. I'm sure they have a whole category for people like that. And yeah, I bet you'd get flagged if you did that. I'm sure I could do a three-part video on why I refuse to vote in local elections or any other kind of election for that matter. And uh, speaking of three-part videos, man, you just did something <laughs> recently and that's why we haven't done a podcast in a while. Actually, for everyone who has a an RSS uh, application or a, a podcast app that subscribes to the RSS feed, the audio of your last video showed up in your feed without any announcement whatsoever. And I was kind of curious to watch the download stats on that to see how it did compared to regular podcasts. But uh, yeah, Anne, you had a video. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> first of all, I'm sure I'm sure super nerd. I'm sure you must have been just pulling your hair out because man. If there's anybody who makes who makes videos down home style, it's me, baby. I mean, we we set up the phone and we're in an echoey room with with cheesy IKEA um, torch lamps and the whole nine. But you know what? It gets the job done. And and let it never be said that I'm I'm getting I'm getting funded or subsidized by anybody because I'm clearly not. <laughs> Although, you know, there was but a happy did, accident on this last one that you had to go back and re-record a few things. And I think I might have prevailed on you 
to do your next video or your next Q&A video in the style of the correction. In other words, just record it, record the audio and, and, yeah. and synchronize it because the even though oh, you, it's super you don't, slick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you may not agree, but the, the the audio is so important even for a video. And that that part was it, the it best is. audio. I, I will I agree. And I'm I'm using the dark chocolates microphone and you know, you've got the the big PowerPoint slide right there in your face. There's no me to worry about. The only reason that I, I would argue that maybe I wouldn't go ahead and do the video of me standing there delivering the lecture is that when you get any any degree of notoriety on the internet whatsoever, eventually people start, um, you know, because people are just the conspiracy theorism is kind of a is a species of mental illness that is kind of crept in. And it's very interesting because they use it to discredit any reportage on actual real conspiracies that are going on. But one of the things that happens is that you start being accused of not actually existing. So, you know, it doesn't hurt if once every four years or so, there's, you know, documented video ever evidence that yes, I, I do in fact exist. And so that's, that's one positive of it, I guess. But yeah, if you told me that no more videos of me forever, oh, that'd be, that would be fantastic. That would be wonderful. And yeah, I absolutely agree. If we do like a, Q, a Q and a, which we're probably going to have to at some point, um, I, I agree with you. I think that format of just me talking here on the dark chocolates and there's the PowerPoint presentation. I think that was super slick. Um, so, and it's, it, I, the video seems to be doing quite well. Um, the rumble stats just crossed 110,000, but I, I'm, I don't I'm know. skeptical of I, that. I, I think, I think we should stats. give that a haircut. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, Go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think those are real stats. And the reason why is, is because um, ha having been involved with web development and, and web hosting for over 20 years now at this point, um, and even looking at Rumble's own definition of, of what their stats look like, um, if, if you if you're somebody who listens to, for example, and, and this mystifies me because I'm not this kind of person, but if you listen to the podcast on Ann's website, on the player embedded in the page, and you listen for 15 minutes and then you stop and then you go away, you close the browser or whatever, and then you come back later and zoom out to 15 minutes and then listen for another 15 minutes. And let's say it's a two hour podcast or an hour and a half. That's what we typically do. So that'd be six bytes mm -hmm. at the podcast to get listened to. The way Rumble is doing stats, that would be six complete listens, which the way okay. our podcast hosting provider list, uh, lists it, it is one listen because it's noticing that okay. you are doing partials all the way through. And Rumble even said, in, in, on the stats that I see, there's there's uh, raw stats, and then there is um, what, what they say unique stats. And let me look at that again real quick. It's it's less than half, basically. Um, yeah. Well, so I was gonna say, I say go big or go home. Rhetorically speaking, let's nip it in the bud. Let's say give it a ninety percent haircut on the stats. Okay, that puts it at eleven thousand. Um, that's still five figures. That's still not terribly bad so yeah it just keeps grinding along and i know it's a grind to sit and watch something like that that's two hours and 40 minutes long um but there are people that are doing it the feedback is still coming in there's there are new eyes on it absolutely i can tell by the email by the inbox and so it's doing its job and it's uh <laughs> it's rustic it's rustically authentic shall we say <laughs> 
Well, it definitely gets the point across. And I think that's, that's more relevant to what you're trying to do. And yeah. there, I, I think you said that this, this video, it stands on its own. So if you haven't seen the previous two, you don't need to see the previous two to make sense of part three. That's kind of like, if you've never seen fantastic one, two, and three, you don't need to see those to understand Fan fantastic four. Um, that's a joke for all you Marvel people. You'll probably get that one. But uh, yeah, this one stands on its own. So this is a complete, um, I guess, explication of everything that's been going on since 2012, 2013. And hopefully, well, using your words, I'm not trying to put anything in your mouth here, but hopefully from, from your perspective, this is the last, but who knows? Never say never, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you you, you would think that... <laughs> the, the, the title of it is literally enough. You would think that this would be enough. The The issue that I had is that, and I, when I was done, I was messaging non-Venny Mark and, and Dr. Matza. And it's like, yeah, I got to 85 dense slides and had I just had to stop, you know, because, all right, if you spend two minutes per slide, do the math, you're, you're, you're looking at three hours. I've got, I've got to stop. So believe it or not, nonstop lecture for two hours and 40 minutes. And I feel like I left half a dozen other things out that I could have, that I could have and maybe should have put in. But that's why I said immediately, all right, I reserve the right to do 3.5. And if I do 3.5, it will be that different format. It will be me on audio with PowerPoint um, doing it in a Q&A format. So, um, and you know, that's, that's really easy to do. You don't have to record it all in one take. You know, I can sit down and if I have 45 minutes, I could do 45 minutes of recording and then you know, come back to it a few days later or whatever. There's not that that intense pressure to get it all done right now, now, now. Um, and the other thing I'm, I, I always think about with regards to these videos and just the website, the podcast, all this stuff, um, the stats, how, how many eyeballs are on it. Just Just think about the potency that we have in the 2023. You know, sit, sitting here casually talking about having five-figure audiences, you know, over 10,000 people, and it's it's probably considerably more than that. But again, let's let's be the most conservative possible and give the Rumble stats a 90% haircut and say 11,000 people have seen this thing. Can you imagine being in the apostolic age, or really any age, up until just within the last couple of decades, and saying that you could communicate something to people instantaneously worldwide in the five in the five figures and you say well in this day and age that's not very much well yeah absolutely true in this day and age it's not very much but relative to to what the apostles and what the fathers of the church and what all these people were going up against the, i mean the work that they had to do the travel the, the physical danger, the peril, the risk of just getting in front of a few dozen or a few hundred people. You're just quoting the Epistle of St. Paul at this point, all, all of his travels and travails being uh, yeah. arrested, uh, shipwrecked three times in the depths of the sea. And here we just hit yeah. record and publish. And it, it makes me think of uh, when I was in high school, one of, the, one of the classes we had, I forget the title of it, but every single class... The um, or every single test the the teacher put on 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 the on the at the end of the test 
what was what was significant about the Pax Romana to the Catholic Church. And basically it was that it set the stage for a, a period of calm uh, before, during, and after the life of Christ, especially after, so that all the apostles and all of the disciples could travel the world broadcasting the gospel. And think about what we have technologically at this point in time. Even even St. Thomas, uh, you know, Doubting Thomas, he, he is alleged to have literally traveled the entire world. Um, there, there are stories from South America where he he preached all up and down South America, and the, the moment he would leave a town, he's entering the next one, and and he, he was eventually martyred in South India. But um, the even then, he had to physically travel from one town to the next and preach to a small group one at a time. Nowadays, you look at the technology we have, we can literally publish to the entire world at the same time, and it makes me wonder, you know, the, the phrase, when, when sin abounds, grace abounds more— when apostasy mm-hmm. abounds, the opportunity to yeah. reach people with the truth abounds more. And and how much how much more obvious is it than, or how much more powerful is it than something where we can record something right now on Tuesday night, and by Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, whenever I publish this, it's literally available to every single person on the world in the world who's got an IP address and who's got an internet connection. Yeah, everybody with a baby television and with a data connection, it, it's it's right there. It's there's so there's so much to unpack with this i mean it's it when you say that it reminds me also of what a big responsibility it is too you know there's always that you know that that balance so brother brother you better be right you better be right um if you're gonna do if you're gonna do stuff like this um and i've also been thinking a lot lately about the ease of evangelization and people people talking about oh it's so hard in this day and age to evangelize and i'm sitting there thinking what are you talking about it's exactly the opposite um not only because of what we've just discussed this technical technological ability to get your your voice in front of your voice and and your image um, in front of everyone um, and I alluded to this at the very end of the part three video, I read excerpts of, of St. Catherine's letter to the Cardinals and, and she laments, she says, what would that it were that I, I could be speaking to you and you could be hearing my own, my own voice, my own physical voice instead, instead of just this letter. And I kind of made a, I made a smirky little face there because look where we are today it's not would that it were that that you could hear my voice because you can you can hear my voice you can see my face and that goes for all of us not just me um and also in terms of the ease of evangelization my goodness the only thing a person need do to testify to the truth and to attract attention and have other people turn and look and say, hmm, wait, who is that? And what are they talking about? And that makes sense is, is make, you know, radical statements like there are two sexes. That, that's basically like an evangelical um, call to hear the gospel because it's, it's simply a statement of truth, which is getting to be progressively more, um, um, counter-revolutionary risky it it just saying something like that turns heads so if you can just make 
make simple, simple, simple declarations of truth. There are two sexes. Sodomy is wrong. Um, you know, you can just go on down the list of everything that's going on. Um, Bergoglio, not the Pope. Clearly not the Pope. Well, that's something that's an obvious truth that'll make people go, wait, what? Who's who's that? Oh, and they also just said there are two sexes. Oh, and they also just said that sodomy is wrong. No, they also just said killing babies is wrong. Hmm, wait, let's let's lean in and listen to what this person has to say. I mean, the hook to get the the in terms of rhetorically speaking, the hook to get people in anymore is incredibly, incredibly easy. Two plus two equals four is is like a hook now to begin telling people about the gospel about our Lord, who is himself the truth. And so it's, you know, the people who are complaining about how hard it is, I just shake my, my head and say, what are you talking about? It's exactly the opposite. This is the golden age of evangelization. And um, the other thing about the video is, is that, you know, I always think whenever I do any of these things, all right, if, th if this helps one person, if I record a video, if I write some essay or something, all right, if this, if this helps one person, then, then that'll be all worth it. And, and please, Lord, let, let this content get in front of the one person that it will help. And then, yes, I absolutely do get confirmation from people saying, and I've gotten many of these emails over the course of the past, it's been almost a month now, we recorded a month ago today, I think, um, saying, yep, that, yep, you, you got it. You you turned me. You turned me. I've gotten, in fact, I've gotten uh, emails from hate mailers saying, okay, yeah, I admit you were right on that one. I don't respond because it could be catfishing. You know, you never trust. If, if, if someone's crazy enough to be sending vicious hate mail to some, but to, a, to some person on the internet, um, you don't ever fully trust, you know, you don't trust wild animals, so to speak. But I have received those and I've I've received those kinds of emails consistently over the years. The I want to apologize to you because I used to think you were crazy, but now I realize that you were right and you were just you were just so far ahead of the curve that it seemed like you were crazy at the time, but I now acknowledge that you were right. That's remarkable. Yet nobody owes me anything. Nobody needs to be, you know, Nobody needs to be sending letters of apology to randos like me on the internet, apologizing for anything. And yet pe people are compelled to do that. They're compelled to say, I thought you were crazy when you said, pay off all of my debt. I thought you were crazy when you said, um, you know, stack, stack ammo and, and hoard ivermectin, <laughs> do all these things, but you were right. So um, it's, I always, I always note that. I always note that. Like I said, especially if it's a, if it's a hate mailer, I'm not going to respond because it could be fake. It could be just trying to goad me to interact with them, and you never, ever, ever interact with those types. But um, they're there, and and there's other very, very nice, completely positive emails saying, "Yep, that was it. Good job." I mean, you can't, you you can't deny this anymore. And and the people who are trying to deny it now. I mean, it's, it's just getting weirder and weirder and more and more pathetic and more and more sketchy, whether it's the CIA agent guy or the Trad Inc. people 
or anyone else who's scoffing and rolling their eyes and saying, when somebody says, hey, I think we need to look at this resignation of Pope Benedict, I don't think this was, I don't think this was, uh, this was valid. These people who are now doing that pearl clutching, well, that's ridiculous. Those people are just making ass out of themselves at this point. You can go ahead and do your magic on on that little blurp there, uh, super nerd. But well done, well done. It, okay <laughs> but but that's you know that's where we are right now it's getting more and more obvious and um events continue to unfold apace a lot has happened even in the months since i recorded the thing so yeah forward forward ever forward and talking about the golden age of evangelization i i, I can say for from my perspective that you know follow, following the advice of the, of the original francis you know, preach the gospel at all times and only when necessary use words, just going out in public with your family. And, and you yeah. know, I, I can't count the number of times that I've gone out with, you know, six or seven kids or whatever and leave the rest at home with mom and, and, um, go to the, go to the grocery store and they're all perfectly in line. And, uh, where I live, I'm not too far from an army base. And there was one guy who said, I mean, I wish I could get my squad as organized as yours. It, it's just, you know, that that's the kind of thing that not just you know, military types or, or old ladies or old, old men knows, but everybody notices this. And it's a testament yeah. to the value of life. The fact that one plus one doesn't equal one more. It could be six, nine, 12, 15, whatever. You, you'd be open to what God is going to send you. And that's a powerful statement as well. And it is every bit as countercultural as saying, hey, the bishop in white is not really the Pope. It, it's mm -hmm. it, it screams out and it is a... It's an examination of conscience to those who have shut themselves off from life. I mean, some of them are so far gone, they're not going to notice it. But there are some who will see that, and, and it will make them uneasy. And good. It's supposed to, because yeah. if, you've, if, you've made, if you've closed yourself off to life, you, you really do need to have that examination of conscience. And it, you know, if I can be a small part of that, um, it's not up to me what happens from that perspective. That if I can help plant the seed for somebody else... And, and pray for everyone I come in contact with every day and pray for everyone else who all of y'all who are listening to this um, that you come in contact with that that whatever seed you plant in somebody else's mind it's up to the Holy Ghost to water that you 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 yep, you only are supposed to propagate the formula it's up to the Holy Ghost to make sure or to see to see to it whether or not that bears fruit and he he wants to lavish everybody with every possible grace that they'll open themselves up and make themselves available to and you know for those of you listening who are um unmarried or your childbearing years are past and you can't have any more now you say well what can we do well remember my big crusade my big personal crusade is to put on clothing and be well dressed every single day don't leave the house um talk about something you know the having having x number of of perfectly behaved children in public oh yeah that turns heads what also turns heads in this day in this day and age of obesity and people wearing pajamas is somebody walking around dressed to the nines like it's 1952 both male and female ladies in dresses <clears throat> hats gloves you know just looking trying doing your best to look like a beautiful respectable female modest and men as exactly well. the same and modest and modest and yeah hence the word respectable <laughs> uh and men the same thing 
um, business of wearing de facto pajamas and walking around in t-shirts or wife beaters and sweatpants and Crocs and looking like an absolute slob, man, you want to, you want to turn your life around. You want to give yourself a kickstart and you want to send a message and be countercultural, reboot your wardrobe. And it's not, it's not expensive. I have posted where I get my beautiful clothing and they're, they're semi-bespoke, basically. You put in your measurements, ladies, and I mean, I don't mean like four measurements. I mean like 24 measurements. So they have a computer model of the mannequin of your body and everything you order for them is custom made exactly to that. Men, I mean, I remember just going into you know, looking around for gifts and things like that, going into places like Men's Warehouse and just being shocked at how inexpensive men's clothing is. Um, maybe that's changed. I mean, I know the price of everything has gone up, but relatively speaking, well, relative to women's clothing, men's clothing is shockingly affordable. Um, and so you can go out and men have it so easy because what do you need? You know, get three, three white shirts, three blue shirts, and maybe, uh, and maybe, a, a pink shirt and a green shirt and a bunch of ties and a couple of sport coats and drop the pink one two two suits three three shirts and maybe four ties because you you mix and match the shirts and ties you can you can yeah, all, depending upon the suit you get you can mix and match the top and the, the 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 jacket and the, and the pants and it looks like you've changed every single day but you've got only a quarter of a closet occupied with that yeah, yeah. And, and my admonition is always make sure you have enough so that your laundry rotation and you're never wearing you're never wearing dirty shirts or anything like that. And it doesn't and you should definitely have suits men should have and should wear suits. But also sport coats and khakis are wildly countercultural now, you know, and, you know, more casual and so forth. Walking into a hardware store, walk at your family walking into or just you walking alone into a into a normal not super fancy but just like a normal restaurant with ladies in a dress a man in some sort of a jacketed outfit like every single person would have been wearing what 65 years ago today before the the asteroid of Vatican II and and you know the Beatles and all of that happened everyone was dressed all the time it was unthinkable to go into public not dressed farmers wore collared shirts and sport coats with with even with their overalls and work boots they would have a collared shirt and a sport coat that they wore over the top of it People were dressed all the time. If you want to resist, yes, have as many children as you possibly can while you are in your serviceable, serviceable breeding age and in a valid marriage, uh, absolutely. And if and for everybody across the board, get dressed, dress yourself, dress yourselves, dress your children. Everybody, comport yourself with Christian civilized dignity start there <laughs> that's a testimony well you mentioned this changing after vatican ii and one of the interesting documents of vatican ii was dignitatis humani the dignity of mm -hmm. man is that we are redeemed by the grace of god and by the virtue of being redeemed we should be showing that to everybody including the way we dress 
whether it's exactly. whether it's uh, respectfulness of, of you know respecting the the weakness of, of men for women by being dressing modestly, by for men respecting the 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 office you hold as being the leaders of family and leaders of society, dressing with dignity. That's one of the ways you you truly live the dignity of, of being a human. That's right. You, we are rational intellects created in the image of likeness of God, and we are redeemed. I mean, how we are we are participants in in that royalty. We are participants. Have to be careful about saying this because this is the thing that uh, that the infiltrators and the feminists and the lesbians and all the female ordination, you know, that they always twist and contort. But we we are by virtue of our baptism. Um, participants in a in a very 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 reduced way in the priesthood of Christ we are not ordained clergy we are not ordained priests we have none of that authority that is a separate thing that is a separate sacrament unto itself even um, but yes theologically we we do have a connection to and a participation in in that priestly uh, in that priestly caste, we are the new priestly caste. You know, the Jews, they had the Levites and the Kohanim and all that. Oh, that that's all over. The the priestly caste now is all of the baptized. Um, and so, yeah, may, maybe you should act like that. Maybe, and you know, men say, well, no one respects me and nobody takes me seriously because you don't respect yourself and you don't take yourself seriously. You don't take yourself seriously enough to get dressed. Why do you expect the rest of the world to take you seriously? Um, so yeah, there it is. But we've, we've talked about this a lot over the years and hopefully we've done some good and we'll put, um, we'll put in the show notes, I'll link to my dressmaker again because I just get a set. I get a steady stream of um, of people asking about that, and in fact, just had to just had to swap out the wardrobe from all the summer dresses to the to now all the nice, wonderful, heavy jersey jersey dresses. And it always feels good when when that first coolness of fall kicks in, and you get to put on your your nice warm clothes and your nice warm boots, and it feels great. Well, it's still Indian summer here, so it, I mean, we we definitely had some cold weather and and broke out the cold the the, the warmer clothes. But I'm sweating my brains out at the moment because I had to turn off all my fans, so I don't have all that buzz and noise in the background here. But I think no after, Halloween snow yet or anything like that. No, not this year. It, it, we haven't not had snow year. in this okay. area for on Halloween since '96. It's wow. been a while. It used to consistently snow every Halloween when I was a child. And we were undeterred. We still went out. We still went out panhandling. I don't remember that. And I, I grew up not that far from you. You don't remember it snowing all the time on Halloween? No. Well, what did, you, what, what did you guys do for Halloween? You probably weren't out that night when you were kids, were you? I lived out in the country. So unless I wanted to walk four miles to visit three houses, we didn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I look back and, and uh, look back at the, the pagan nature of all of it. And there were a couple years where my costume was a witch. I very much, I was, I regret that even, even though I was a little child and I, and there was a couple years when I was a clown and I don't know why, because I just, I despise clowns as most people do. I hate clowns. Why was I a clown? Um, I think probably the best one was um, when I was four. So this would have been Halloween of 1980. 
I had one of those um, Kmart costumes with the mask and I was Snoopy. And that was that was probably my best Halloween costume as a kid. I have no recollection of any costume that I had. I, I know I did a couple of times when I was back when I was really short, but I don't remember what in the world I dressed up as. Did you guys do an All Saints parade or anything like that? Well, that was different. That was the next day. There was yeah, there was always the, the All Saints Day, Day parties uh, at St. Mary's and, and every place else I've been. So that's that's always been a, a consistent thing. But I remember all of us being being bitter because all the kids who went to the Catholic schools um, had the day off from school on All Saints. So they would go out on a Halloween night and do their thing. And like, oh, yeah, we don't have to go to school tomorrow. We don't have to go to school tomorrow. What? Why don't you have to go to school? He said, it's all saints. Like, oh, okay. Oh, all right. You know, so that that was my first exposure as a child to the to the great feast of all saints. Well, what did you think Halloween meant? No idea. As a child, as a Protestant child, just that's the day you you dress up and and spooky. And the word Halloween was nothing more than a collection of phonemes. It, it had the etymology of the word was never discussed. It never occurred to any of us. It was just Halloween was, you know, you dressed up and went and got candy. And that was it. That was it. Well, sadly, a lot of the, the modern liturgical practice is almost as diluted now to the point that um, people are publishing documents about uh, how popes should be elected. By the way, didn't you do that? Didn't you write up a, a new document about how popes should be elected and publish that? Because it's got as much authority and weight as that dude running around Roman white. Exactly, exactly. And this is, hopefully the video is helping, the part three video will help and is helping with this. But this is the thing that, you know, you just keep banging your head against the wall is people are talking about this and, oh, Pope Francis is going to change the election procedure so that it'll just be, it'll be forever stacked with a bunch of lesbian nuns and, and lesbian laywomen and blah, 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 blah. Like, what are you talking about? This guy has as much authority to do anything in the Catholic Church as, I don't know, Kim Kardashian, that's that's the example I use. Kim Kardashian and Jorge Bergoglio have exactly the same level of, of authority in the Catholic Church. Why do we keep handing Satan these, these victories and just handing all of this authority and power over to someone who has absolutely none? Nothing that Bergoglio says, Traditionis Custodis, Amoris Laetitia, none of these things have any, have any existence inside of the Catholic Church. They don't exist. There is no Francis. There is no um, uh, Francis Pontificate. There is no Francis Magisterium. All of this stuff is null, and people just keep handing this authority to Bergoglio and to his father Satan and say, well, we have to do whatever you say. Why do you think I'm doing this? Why do you think I'm jumping up and down, screaming and yelling? Because all of these people are getting tricked into thinking that that these things have weight and have force and have 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 legal meaning, have canonical meaning. It's there's nothing there. It's the emperor's new clothes. There's no there there. So there there's it's not published, but there's um, 
well, well-founded rumors. In fact, rumor, the word has such a negative connotation. There's, there's well-founded sourced intelligence. And one of the primary people reporting this is Diane Montagna, who has a stellar track record and is extremely cautious and does not mess around or take big risks with any of this stuff. If Diane says that this is, that this is real and this is floating around, then no matter how many denials you get from the, from the Vatican and from the Curia, you, you go with Diane every time. Because remember, all of these people, you say, oh, these churchmen, they explicitly deny that anything like this exists. They lie through their teeth. They are inveterate, facile liars. They will look you in the eye and they will lie to your face without the slightest compunction. This is a key trait of diabolical narcissism is mendacity and lying and lying without lying artfully and skillfully and, and not even giving anything away and just swearing up and down. I don't know what you're talking about and just lie, lying to your face. That's what these people do. So the fact that they come out with any denial of anything, not only, not only does it mean nothing, it's actually probably a contraindicator. Whatever is the opposite of what that that piece of garbage says in the Vatican, well then that's probably what the truth is. It's the opposite of whatever he's saying. Um, so they're coming out and saying that there's this document that Bergoglio and, and his cabal and Satan, his father, is what what they're trying to do, and this is just another testament to what a masterful chess player Satan is, is that he's trying to end run the natural rebooting capacity of the system, of the papal system. And what I mean by that is, is okay, here we are in this situation, as we talked about in the part three, Pope Benedict is dead, so the see, the see is now vacant, and so therefore, um, in legal theory, a conclave could be called, and it would be, it would be valid. Now, as we also talked about in the part three, where this gets really hairy, is who's who's been validly named a cardinal, who whose validity is grandfathered in according to Ecclesia Suplet, and who is malicious and, you know, should be excommunicated, like Tucho Fernandez, for example. That is a purely malicious appointment by Bergoglio of a, of a sodomite, apostate, Luciferian infiltrator, um, so in giving Tucho Fernandez a hat, that is an act of evil and malice. And therefore, the law says that, that Ecclesia Suplet cannot be used to justify or ratify explicitly evil malicious acts. And giving Tucho Fernandez a hat is an explicit, explicitly evil malicious act. Um, so real adult men at some point are going to have to sit down and figure all of this out. And it's going to involve, I suspect, um, lots of excommunications. And in fact, I think, you know, like the German church, for example, easily needs to be put under interdict. People have been saying this for years, just put the German church under interdict. And what that means is that you suspend absolutely everyone and everything in Germany. Every bishop is out, every priest has his faculties suspended. He's not laicized, but he has his faculties suspended. 
everything stops, everything. And then you go back in and one by one, you, you have to, you know, sift through the entire church in Germany and figure out who's left, find the few Catholic priests that are left and publicly, publicly lift the interdict off of them, but everyone else is out. So something like that, and a, a maneuver that aggressive absolutely needs to happen in Germany and needed to happen in Germany even before the Bergoglian usurpation. Um, the low countries, Belgium, the Netherlands, just abject train wrecks. And, you know, you can go on really the, the whole, it, it needs to happen everywhere. That talk about a great reset. Just just put everything under interdict and just go back in and start interviewing people and and reviewing people's um, uh, public statements and, and homilies and, and social media and everything else. It, it would be a massive job, but it, it has to be done. And the, this is what happens. This is what happens when men do not take care of problems and do not subscribe to the deputy Barney Fife of human resource management. When there's a problem, they refuse to nip it in the bud. When something, when something crops up and something goes sideways, real men nip it in the bud. You take care of problems. It is peak effeminacy, and I cover this in the part three, peak effeminacy to sit around and say, well, I'm, we're just going to wait it out. Good, There are good popes and bad popes, and we just need to wait for him to die, and blah, 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 blah. Oh, and it'll fix itself, and the next one will be better. Well, first of all, that's not the truth. He's not the pope. So this isn't a good, good popes, bad popes situation. This is anti-pope. He's not the pope. He hears you. Lucifer hears you. They all see and hear you bleeding on about how there's nothing we can do. We just need to wait this out. Time will fix this. Well, now that chicken is coming home to roost because Bergoglio wants to release a document that end runs the natural rebooting process of, of the Petrine Sea and bringing in, so uh, any, any cardinal over the age of 80 not only doesn't participate in the conclave, but isn't allowed to even talk to anybody or participate in any of the, you know, there are meetings that go on and they meet with each other and they talk with them as they should. It's a college. They should know who each other are. So Satan wants to get absolutely everybody out who might have even the slightest connection to genuine, authentic Catholicism. One of the ways you do that is through age. So you say anybody who's at the age of 80 and over, you can't even, you can't even join in the discussion. You cannot engage in any collegial, synodal activities. You're completely shut out of everything. Um, then the voting will be for the Pope, for a papal election, would be 75% the remaining cardinals, which if you put this age limit on even more severely, what Bergoglio is doing is ensuring that, that his, um, his guys are the only ones there, basically. So right now, how old is Cardinal Burke right now? He's probably... Is he 75? He might not even be 75. Let's look it up. Cardinal Burke. 
because uh, he was young. He was quite young when, um, yeah, he's 75. And he, he was 66, I think. He was either 65 or 66 when Bergoglio threw him out as being, invalidly threw him out as being um, prefect of the apostolic signatura. He was a young, young cardinal and young man and had, had decades in front of him in terms of a normal curial career. Um, so Cardinal Burke at 75 years would be one of the only ones left who's young enough and Catholic enough. Um, a lot of the names that you know, I mean, the, the cardinals that, that occasionally say something Catholic, look up how old they are. They're all over 80. They're all over 80. So that's, that's one thing he's trying to do. Then he wants to have the other 25% be a, a synodal block of lay women, um, women religious um, I don't even know if male religious would be included in any of this, but he wants, you know, he wants to turn it into, into basically just straight up democracy, which the Freemasons, that's, that's their goal for everything, to destabilize everything. And you've seen the hot mess. Oh, and all of these people in this 25% block would be personally appointed by the reigning quote unquote pontiff before he croaks or retires. So it's f just straight up stacking the whole thing. But more importantly, more to the point, 1000% invalid, 1000% invalid. So if people are stupid enough to keep going along with this obvious invalid anti-papacy, and go along with this crap, even if Bergoglio dies or pseudo resigns and, and they call a conclave, quote unquote conclave, according to this new paradigm, it would be invalid. Even with the C vacant, everything. So what Satan is clearly doing here is end running that built in natural ability for the Petrine C to reboot itself in this situation. And I mean, how could you not see this coming? You've been telegraphing to Satan and to all of his minions for the last 10 years that you're not going to do anything. There's nothing we can do. Wait it out, wait it out. You just have to wait for him to die. Everything will be fine. Well, Satan's sitting there listening to you and saying, oh, okay, all I have to do is end run that. All I have to do is end run that. And that's exactly what he's going to do. So how's that worked out for you? And I say that from every pew sitter all the way up to Cardinal Burke. How's this strategy of sitting around and waiting and kicking the can down in the road and saying that the ship will right itself. How exactly is that strategy working out for you? Not a rhetorical question. The answer is, since it's not a rhetorical question, is that you have collectively been getting your butts beaten up one side and back down the other on a daily basis for over 10 years now. 10 years. 
getting your butts kicked up one side, back down the other. And I don't know if you're telling yourself in your head that this is all part of your your secret plan and this is all part of the victory. Um, yeah, trust the plan, Ann. Trust, exactly. I was just thinking the same thing. It's, it's getting all very weird QAnon culty that losing is winning. And well, and you don't, you don't believe in the gospels. Look at uh, the apostolic age when everybody was getting executed and, and this, that, and the other. Yes. And they were converting people by the thousands and thousands and thousands at a time. They took over the Roman empire for goodness sake. That's not happening here. And they didn't have Cardinal Jazz Hands and Sister Planned Parenthood deciding who was going to be the next apparent bishop in white either. And universal exactly. peaceful acceptance doesn't make that person the Pope. Universal peaceful acceptance is at this point, it's just, it's silly. And I've kind of noticed that people aren't talking about it so much anymore. And I hope people are cottoning to the fact just by looking who it's looking at who its proponents are. I mean, you've got the 32nd de degree Freemason who who wrote the book about it um who went to the sspx for years then all of a sudden decided the the sspx was you know the incarnation of evil on earth but interestingly enough is still selling his books through the sspx's publishing house that's odd then you've got the cia agent who gets gets mentioned obliquely in the part three video which is just, I mean, it's pathetic. I, at this point, we're like, dude, just keep writing. Just keep writing because it's it's so bad that anybody who even takes a minute to look at that just looks at it and says, is this guy kidding? And and yeah, that's the debate. Is he kidding? Is he a troll? Is he paid? Is he tasked by the deep state? Um, through through the CIA, through the intelligence arms in the U.S. to try to be destabilizing at this point the Catholic Church is this all part and parcel of the Catholic Spring, which is which is an undeniable fact. The fact that Hillary Clinton and Panetta and all those uh, and uh, Podesta, excuse me, Podesta, and all of that cabal were sitting around. Uh, pining for a massive takeover and revolution of the Catholic Church. And then, hmm, it happened. How about that? Not just sitting around, but spirit cooking about it, too. Spirit cooking about it. Well said. Exactly. Um, these, these things are undeniable. And then the guy who ran the website, who was, was actually a, a, a agnostic slash atheist apostate all along for years but maintain the public facade he's now completely publicly acknowledged that he's an apostate and regularly on the regular is making literally luciferian proclamations that the creator god is the evil one and lucifer if any of these entities exist lucifer is the one to be respected because he had the the courage and integrity to rebel against the creator god who is so clearly evil if he exists this is this is now this this guy's pastime Look, look at who the proponents of all this are. Look at how weak it is. Look at how much it violates the law of non-contradiction. Talk about by their fruits, you will know them. I mean, it's, 
it's pathetic. So at this point, I, I hope the CIA agent just keeps going because it's just, it's, it's laughable, but it's, it's sad, but it's also compelling. People look at this and they say, are, are you kidding me? So he, so he block quotes you and then his entire conclusion is, well, that's just ridiculous. Um, no, no, it isn't. And that's, hopefully I did a good job in the part three of just pinning all of that down and saying, sit down and look at what Ratzinger said. Sit down and look at what the canon law said. Sit down and think about the law of non-contradiction. Sit down and look at what Georg Ganswein said. And look at what Ganswein said. Yeah, it's what Ganswein said is, is, is even though it was um, a few, it was three years ex post facto, but Ganswein's a personal secretary and that text was pre-read and approved by Pope Ratzinger. And, it, and, he, and, and, and Ganswein is quoting Ratzinger. It's, it's, um, it's irrefutable. It, I, I use the word. It is absolutely irrefutable this, at this point. The only way that you don't have this position and you're, you're looking at this is, well, first of all, you refuse to look at it. And that's a lot of people. I still get face to face with people who, you know, respectfully disagree with me on this question. And, you know, I'll just start bringing up, you know, well, how do you reconcile, um, how do you reconcile the February 27th final audience to 332.2? And they have no idea what I'm talking about. None. Like, well, have you, have you watched my, any of my videos? Have you read anything that I've written? No, I don't have time for that. Ah, you don't have time for that. Of course you don't. And uh, it has to be said, a commonality that a lot of these people have is financial dependency on the institutional church, which I discuss in the part three video. It has to be said. And a lot of these people are really nice people and, and really good people. And, you know, like John Henry Weston, Mike Matt, these are all family men. These are, these are decent guys. These are good guys. And this is the problem when lay people are financially dependent upon the institutional church. This is exactly the problem. Because, yeah, what, what do you do when the choice is you either say Bergoglio ain't the pope or you pay your mortgage. And that, that is the pickle that a lot of these people are in. Or you say Bergoglio is the Pope, or else you get laicized at age whatever, you lose your pension, you lose your health insurance, and you lose your domicile. You lose everything. You lose your car. Absolutely everything. And you're too old to start over again. And you know you you obviously don't want. It. And would the laicization be be legal? No, probably not. Of course not. But you know, um, what 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 do we imagine? Take up your cross and follow me means. I think a lot of these people think that that's just a figure of speech or a turn of phrase that our Lord was using, and and that wasn't to be taken at all seriously. Nothing's going to get better until until people start taking up their crosses. I heard someone once say, "We need someone who has absolutely nothing to lose to come out and 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 say something and do something about this." Well, hello, that that would be me. And you you get shouted down and you get called names and you get calumniated, and that's that's fine. 
That is not what we need. We don't need people who have absolutely nothing to lose. We need people who have everything to lose. Everything. Career, home, social connections, it, all income, health insurance, everything. We need people who have absolutely everything to lose to come out and say, nope, I'm not playing this game anymore. Um, and you say, well, there's Archbishop Vigano. Good point. The thing to remember about Archbishop Vigano is that, and I, I'm not saying this in an accusatory way at all, he comes from a wealthy family. Um, his family, I believe their fortune is made in um, furniture production in Italy. <laughs> Apparently it's a thing that if you can go into someone's house and if they've bought furniture recently and it's not Ikea and you turn it over and look for a mark on it, it probably says Vigano on the bottom of it because it's their family is a huge furniture production um, family. And so Vigano has an eight-figure net worth as he's an heir to to this fortune. And he, he has some siblings and there was there was news and they were they were trying to go after Vigano when he first came out because apparently he and his brother had had some um, some contention or some some legal battle, you know, in in the probate courts about the family's estate or something, which guys, if anybody has ever been around anybody with any money, you know that this is almost an inevitability that if there's a if we're talking about a large estate, there's going to be there's going to be legal, you know, scrapings and scrappings between family members, cousins, etc, cetera, etc, cetera. completely normal. Um, but he and his brother were in court. But the, my point being, the one of the reasons why Archbishop Vigano has been able to do what he did is because he's not gonna he's not gonna die under a bridge any anywhere, no matter what he does. He's got he has like an eight figure fortune, so he's going to be fine. It's not to say that we don't respect standing up and whistleblowing and all this kind of thing, but just bear that in mind. What we need is to have people standing up who are going to end up just, you know, homeless and having to go and bag groceries or something somewhere. Not home, but wait, there aren't even grocery baggers anymore. I don't even know. Barista, greeter at Walmart, I, I don't even know. They're going to have to go do something like that. They're going to have to start over from scratch. And that's why we're in the pickle that we're in, is because nobody is willing to sacrifice anything. Nobody takes the words of our Lord and the Holy Gospel seriously when he says, take up your cross and follow me. And if you leave everything, I will give it back to you a hundredfold. And uh, again, I am, I am the living testimony of that. Is it give it back to you a hundredfold in terms of what the balance in your bank account is going to be? No, but it's going to be, believe me, when he says I'm going to give it back to you a hundredfold, he ain't kidding. Um, you need to trust that, that the quality of your life and that the ability for you to advance in sanctity um, is not completely, wholly, totally dependent upon income, bank account balance, anything like that. Um, you need to get out of that Americanist mindset that everything is defined financially and that there could possibly be something that's just way better way 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 better that doesn't involve some massive huge income or massive huge bank account and speaking of 
financial issues and, and distractions. I mean, everybody in the world ought to really ought to be paying attention to what's going on in Rome right now with the, the um, synod and synodality, but instead they're paying attention to something a little more to the East, some kinetic disagreement that's been going on for just over a hundred years. It's not been thousands. It's been just over a hundred since world war one. Um, the whole conflict in Palestine is there something significant going on here aside from murder that um, really should be taking up all of the headlines in the world? Because honestly, the what's being done to the Catholic Church should be the most important thing that everyone should be paying attention to. It's it's very interesting to me. It's a very it's a great learning experience about how unsound um, most even even tra some trad Catholics how unsound they are um, on the whole the whole question of the Jews and so on and so forth. So you've got you've got two sides of a spectrum. You've got the basically Nazis who, you know, sit around and say things like, you know, what what Hitler started needs to be finished and are ready to start firing up ovens. And interestingly, a lot of those people are unhealthy, unhinged uh, Jewish converts. There's two types of Jewish converts to Catholicism. There are Jewish converts who come in and become the biggest um, anti-Semite Jew haters on the planet and are literally talking, are, are Nazi apologists, are um, 1,000% Holocaust deniers, even though they have family members who were killed in it, and uh, and are literally talking about we need to fire back up the ovens and we need to get eliminate all Jews from the surface of the earth. And of course, this is extremely unhealthy, and this is indicative that there's some sort of a deep-seated family problem, family resentments, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, and there's, there's a surprising number of those. But, and remember my axiom, like at Barnhart axiom number five, nobody hates the Jews more than the Jews hate the Jews. The self-loathing characteristic that, that is endemic to, to modern, the modern Jewish race is, is significant. Um, so you've got one end over there now on the other end, you've got people who, uh, oh, oh, let me tell you about the other type of Jew who converts to Catholicism. The other type of Jew who converts to Catholicism, who's got their head on straight, starts saying things like, how, how do we evangelize the Jews? I was reached by the grace of God I was brought in. How, it's inexcusable how we are not evangelizing the Jews. What can we do to get them converted? That is the correct answer. That is the correct mindset. Um, you know, say, well, I grew up as a Jew. I went to Torah school as a little boy. What, what can I do to help? How can we do outreach? How can I just show all of these people that I know and grew up with and so on and so forth, that all that stuff that we studied in Torah school as little kids, if you go to the Catholic Mass, that is the traditional Catholic Mass, that is the final perfection. That is it. That's what all of the temple sacrifice was pointing towards, was driving towards. And now here it is. Here it is. You should be able to technically almost recognize everything that's in the Torah is basically now present in the in the sanctuary of the catholic mass there's the tabernacle there's the incense you know there's there's all of this stuff and here is the priest and he goes into the holy of holies and the 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 
perpetual toda sacrifice of thanksgiving eucharist is offered perpetually um so i mean it's 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 a shame because evangelizing the Jews should be one of the easiest things in the world to do. It should be the easiest thing. So you've got people on that side. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got Catholics, including trad Catholics, it's very weird, who think that um, the Jews today are magically saved by their DNA, that it's a horrible thing to um, proselytize them, convert them. They don't need to be converted. How dare you say that? Um, and I don't know what these people are thinking. When you go to Mass, or you're praying the office, or you're just reading the Psalms, because I, I know, especially in the Novus Ordo, nobody even knows what the office is. But if you're reading the Psalms, and you're praying, there's all these references to Israel. You know, I honestly think at this point, and, and looking at the feedback and everything that's happened since, since the war, that war started, is that these people are sitting there in the pews, and they think that when we're praying, like in a collector, or, or in, this, in the, in the post-communion, and Israel, the word Israel comes up, I think these people honestly think that we're all sitting there praying for Bibi Netanyahu and, and, and those people over there. And, and, and don't laugh. I honestly think that's what people think at this point. They think that's what we're praying for. And of course, we're not. We are Israel. The, the church, the baptized, it's this concentric circle that keeps that throughout salvation history just kept expanding and expanding, starting with with one married couple, Adam and Eve, and then just kept getting bigger and bigger to Abraham, Moses of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, da 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 da, and and then Christ comes, and now it's universal. That's what Catholic means, on the whole, universal. Who is Israel? We are Israel, not, not those people over there, not Bibi Netanyahu. Um, and let me hasten to remind everyone, all these people, including, including the people in Israel themselves, Bibi Netanyahu, saying, we we were given this land by God. Y'all realize that Jews today are atheists, right? And almost all of them over in Israel are open, confessed atheists. Now talk about a violation of the law of contradiction. Let me get this straight. You're all atheists. You do not believe in any personal deity at all. None. And yet the entire crux of your argument is that that land belongs exclusively to you, which has been given to you by a deity who you, you openly proclaim you do not believe exists. Really? T tell me more about this. So this personal deity both doesn't exist, but does exist and has given you that land right there over there. The holy land, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to us. It belongs to the church. 
it is conquered and sanctified by the shed blood of the Messiah. It doesn't belong to Bibi Netanyahu and those people. It doesn't belong to the Musloids. It belongs to us. The fact that any of this even exists, the fact that we haven't evangelized and proselytized Talmudic rabbinic Judaism off the face of the earth is an indictment upon us, upon our sloth and upon our lack of zeal. And the fat and the same could be said about Islam. Why has why have we not why have we not just converted all of these people? Because we got soft. We've been soft the whole time. So you got people emailing me and that belongs to them and no, no. It belongs to us. Well, what about where it says in the in the mass when we're praying for Israel? We're praying for us. We're praying for the church. That's us, not them, not those people. Um, like I said, Jews today are almost all militant confessing atheists. Netanyahu is a militant confessing atheist. All of them are. And not only that, they hold in utter contempt you think you think they hold christians in contempt they hold jews who believe in god so they they hold the orthodox and orthodox jews and um you know hasidic jews and all that they hold all of those people in contempt too and they'd like to get rid of them that what they want what netanyahu and that crew want over there is they want to they want to form some atheist utopia that's that's what they want they would prefer to get everybody who believes in any sort of a personal deity completely out of there completely out well israel is not about religion it's about politics and it's specifically yeah. about the politics of zionism and by the way those of you who want to know why don't we publish the podcast episodes to youtube Hello, <laughs> this is why it would be taken down. <laughs> um, Zionism is not a religious thing. It's almost in entirely the opposite. And uh, somebody uh, in one of the signal groups I'm in, I'm, I'm in uh, well, I've been in for a while, recommended a six-part, 23-and-a-half-hour episode. Um, I'll link this in the show notes in case you want to listen to all this. But it, it's it's uh, a six-part series called Fear and Loathing in New Jerusalem. He's covering the history from the end of World War One, or maybe slightly before that, up through 1948. Actually, no, I guess it goes back to Theodore Herzl in the beginning of the, of the Zionist movement, and and everything that took place over there. It, it's eye opening if you if you don't know the history of this. Um, this isn't something that goes back thousands of years. This goes back a hmm. hundred years, and there's a lot of blood uh, going pretty much in one direction, and just figure out who you're not allowed to criticize. They're the ones who own the media and tell you what you're not allowed to say and or, or put something on YouTube. There's a, a reason that that um, <laughs> some of this has to go out on um, alternative platforms. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say any more than that. I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes and if you want to do the research, but you can figure it out. But it, this, this is not, um, like you said, Ian, this is not religious-based. This is politically-based. No. And, and one of the big mysteries to me— Zionism is an atheistic paradigm. Zionism is an atheistic paradigm repeated over and over until it sinks in. Yeah. And massively supported and financed by American evangelical Protestants. Yeah. Uh, hello, red flag. Um, and, you know, just the whole Catholic position of— uh, I, I had one woman who was a donor, and 
you know, can canceled her recurring profile when I put up that quote of Pius X saying, you know, we, this belongs to us and, you know, we cannot support the formation of any state. And if y'all go over there, we're going to we're going to proselytize you and we're going to baptize and convert you because that's our job. And that territory is ours conquered by the shed blood of Christ. If you deny all of this and you're saying that these people, because of magic DNA, literally magic DNA, do, should not be apostolized, do not need, that they, they are in a still existing, dynamic covenant with God, um, you are denying the dogma of original sin, and in denying the dogma of original sin, one logical step, you're denying the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Let me hasten to remind you, if you do not, if you deny even one dogma of the Catholic faith, you are out. And I, boy, denying the dogma of original sin, that's, that's up there, folks. I mean, obviously, denial of any dogma is just unfathomably bad denying the dogma of original sin so you you so harvey weinstein let's take harvey weinstein serial rapist absolute scum of the earth psychopath um let's say that he dies in his jail cell tonight so what you would be saying is that harvey weinstein had absolutely no need of baptism he had no need of repentance nothing he could die mired in the most horrific, despicable, mortal sins and, and totally denying the existence of God, much less the salvific work of the second person of the triune God incarnate, his, his salvific work on Calvary, his passion, death, and resurrection. And, and he would be saved, and Harvey Weinstein would be saved because of the magic DNA. Stop and think about what you are saying. Think about how fundamentally evil that is. It's fundamentally evil, and it is a complete and total denial of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church and faith. R right there. Speaking of magic DNA, wasn't there a group in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s in Germany that had a similar idea around magic DNA? Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Again, think about what you're saying. Um, Harvey Weinstein gets to do whatever he wants because of that. Do you get to do whatever you want or, or are you absolved of any of your sins because of who your 15th or 30th or 50th or 75th great-grandfather was or something like that? Or are you even locked into anything because of who your parents are? This is a huge thing, you know, and it's a realization that I came to very, very quickly as a child, is that it doesn't matter who your parents, your grandparents, anybody is. You are a sovereign individual, and you need to, to take care of your own salvation in fear and trembling, to, para to paraphrase St. Paul. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You're not locked into anything. 
baptism, um, the sacraments, everything is available to every human being on earth. And God desires every human being on earth without exception to be, to be baptized, to be redeemed, and to live in a state of grace, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Every single person. And you cannot get yourself trapped into any notions that you're locked into this or you're locked into that because of who your ancestors are. Or, or you know, the, the, the thing that I've never understood is people who say, well, you know, I grew, I grew up in an abusive household or I grew up in a household where bad things were happening and then the cycle just perpetuated and I fell into the same things. I've never understood that. If you grew up in some abusive situation, wouldn't, wouldn't you look at that and say, okay, note to self, I am never, ever, ever going to do X, Y, and Z. Why would you do exactly the same things that were done to you, that hurt you, that hurt the people, that hurt people around you, that cause chaos and destruction and misery? Why would you do exactly the same things and then have the unmitigated gall to claim that you had to do those things because, oh, I was just born into this cycle? No, no. You look at, you look at bad things that are going, going on. You look at bad behavior in other people and you use that as a negative template and you say, I am not going to do that. That is bad, and I am not going to be bad. I'm going to be the opposite of that. And so, for example, if someone has drug or alcohol or whatever in their, in their abuse in their family, well, don't you look at that and say, oh, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere near any of that. I'm, I'm not touching any of that. Abuse, um, you know, uh, sexual immorality, all those things. Don't you look at that and say, look at what a train wreck this is. There's no way that A, I'm doing that to myself and B, that I'm going to do that to my family. And yet it's, it is the, it is the thing of the 20th and 21st century for the last, since, since World War II, it is the thing to, to do all of the stupid things that, your your parents or grandparents or whoever did and then and then you do the same thing and claim it's not your fault i i've i've never understood this at all wait where were we going we're talking about the jews what were we talking about um magic dna magic d magic dna magic dna so i mean if you're not locked in to through magic dna of stuff that your parents did or stuff that your parents believed. Okay, your parents were in a cult. That doesn't mean you have to be in a cult. It means you need to find the truth. You need to get out of that. Uh, well, you know, my entire family's Mormon, so you know, what, what, does, that, what does that matter? What, why in the world does that matter? You are a sovereign individual. You will stand before Christ at your particular judgment alone. And there's not going to be any point, well, my grandfather was a Mormon, so I had to believe in the stupid sp quatrine space alien god cult. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. So it, and it, it all applies and it's all the same. I have no response to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's true, so... Um, 
and and you know we need to be able to have enough nuance and you would think that i mean after this ukraine thing and looking at that and saying okay both sides are bad not on putin's side but certainly also not on the side of the sodomite jew Zelensky, who's a cia plant and the most massively corrupt regime maybe on earth ukraine is the locus of human trafficking financial crime cyber crime or it was um and bioweapons labs dozens of u.s bioweapons labs in ukraine you look at that and you say okay i'm not on either one of these sides here but but are we not getting suspicious when something like this crops up and instantaneously you have to be 1000% all in for one side or the other in this thing? And you're like, nope, I am not falling for that. I'm not falling for that in Ukraine and Russia, and I'm not falling for it in this thing. Islam is a scourge. It is evil. The fact that it has not been been uh, eliminated from the face of the earth through through proselytization, and and so on and so forth, is an absolute indictment on the sloth and effeminacy of of the Christian the Christian man and Christian civilization over these past centuries. You all know my position on Islam. Um, my phone literally has inscribed on it. And furthermore, I consider that Islam must, de but must be destroyed. Every blog post on my website says, and furthermore, I consider that Islam must be destroyed, which is paraphrasing Cato, who finished every, every speech he gave in Rome. He concluded with, and furthermore, I consider that Carthage must be destroyed. So I just took that and changed Carthage to Islam. 1000%. The Islamic political system is satanic and should be destroyed. And the fact that it hasn't been destroyed and has been allowed to go on for 1400 years is just is sickening. Okay. At the same time, I'm not going all in for for Bibi Netanyahu and all that crap. Tel Aviv is the highest per capita city in the world of sodomites. It is 25% sodomite. It, it leaves San Francisco, Palm Springs in the dust. The most concentrated collection of sodomites on the planet is Tel Aviv. I have, if you go to Israel, I think that you have to fly through Tel Aviv. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. People say, oh, Ann, don't you, don't you want to go to the Holy Land? Nope. Nope. Not right now. Uh, no interest right now. Zero. Um, you say, how could you not want to see? I No, that's, that is bad news what's going on over there. And you have to fly through Tel Aviv. And no, I'm, I'm not doing that. You know what? When the Immaculate Heart triumphs and we take over and we reclaim what is ours, Yes, I would love to go. I ain't going now. And thank God, um, there were some there were some pilgrimage groups and you know some people that I know and we know that that were over there. And thank God, it sounds like everybody was a everybody that wanted to get out was able to get out. But 
Oh, I was I was worried that there were going to be tour groups and people taken hostage and not able to get back. And oh, what a, what an absolute disaster that would have been. Um, but yeah, I'm not not interested in this business of being told that you have to go all in. You have to one thousand percent go all in and support for a political movement that is atheistic, but beyond that, um, defines itself by the fact that the people involved not only deny the existence of God, but more intrinsically to themselves, that they deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Uh, uh, really? You need, you need to pump your brakes on that one, if, if you're sure that that's the team you want to pony up to. And you need to stop and look around and look at our culture and look at Hollywood and look at the financial system and say, hmm, there seems to be something off here. Something seems to be wrong. And sure enough, um, all the same people who belong to this political system have massive control and I mean, overrepresentation doesn't even begin to put to put it into proper into proper context. These people have control; they have complete control. And what has been going on with the entertainment industry and so forth for the last hundred and twenty-five years? Um, it has it has caused the downfall, the downfall of the Christian West. I mean, you, you want to sit down and figure out why it is that the average age that children in the United States today uh, begin watching hardcore video pornography is eight, age eight, and track all of that back and wait a minute, what has been going on and just work your way back through entertainment, movies, especially television, and say, how did we get to this point? How did we get here? And who was, who was the CEO of every single one of the companies that was driving all of this? There's, there's something very, very wrong, and why wouldn't there be? If you are a militant atheist who defines yourself by the fact that your ancestors denied the divinity of Christ and the, denied the fact that Christ was the Messiah, what would you expect? Would you expect moral uprightness from, from such a group of people? Why, why this whole groveling, uh, you have to go all in for this? You have to be capable of nuanced thought. And when anybody comes at you, on this earth and says you either have to be 100% on that team or 100% for the other team over there. That's a red flag. The only person who has a right to do that and who has done it um, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the only one who says you're either with me or you're against me. Yes, because he is God, because he is truth itself. He is infinite love. He is infinite beauty, infinite mercy, infinite justice. He alone is as, I mean, we just had the feast of, of Christ the King. He alone is the king, the sovereign king of the universe. 
He alone has the right to say that whenever anybody on earth starts coming at you and, and using that rhetoric, uh, you need to sit back and say, wait, what's going on here? Because I'm being, I'm being herded into something that I probably shouldn't be a part of. It's these false choices. It's these false choices. And that there is, that it's, it, that's exactly what this is. Everybody talking about, well, what did the land, does it belong to the Palestinians? Does it belong to the Jews, the, the Zionists? It belongs to us, ladies and gentlemen. It belongs to the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It belongs to us, conquered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you, do, if you don't see that and you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, I mean, what, what, what does it take? What, what does God have to do? You know, his shed blood there on the soil. You don't think that's, that's an act of conquering? Of course it is. That is the ultimate act of conquering. So we pray for the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. And one of the things that will happen in the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is that the Novus Ordo will, will be abrogated and will go away. Um, sodomy, sexual perversion, transvestitism will be all but completely eliminated from the face of the earth. And the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church will reconquer the Holy Land. And it will be what it, what it should be. And it will be where we go to venerate the, the life and the passion and the resurrection of our Lord, period. That will be a wonderful day. But then again, it's also worthwhile to point out that while there are graces from going on pilgrimages, there's no need to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's like, in, in a different sense, it, it's like um, a conversation I had with one of my sons who's, you know, he's first communion age, but, but um he tends to want to read and flip through the, the, the missile and, and follow. It's kind of distracting when it's literally at the time of the consecration and he's between look, we're trying to read the words and then looking at what's going on on, on, on the altar. And it's like, what's really going on? And can you see that with your eyes? What's what the actual reality that's happening on the altar can only be seen with the soul. And mm -hmm. even if you go to the Holy land on a pilgrimage, yes, there are graces, attached to that. I'm not denying that at all, but being in the same, walking literally in the same footsteps where Christ is, that takes a disposition of the soul to even have uh, the ability to, to gain grace from it. It's mm -hmm. not some magic, Hey, I, I went and, and touched the spot. Now I, now I get um, indulgences. This isn't a numbers game. This isn't, um, this isn't transactionalism. It's a disposition of the soul that if you are honoring and, and, and worshiping God, and reliving, in a sense, to the, to the best that you can, or and walking where he um, went through his passion, and having sorrow for your sins when you do so, which you can do that in any chapel by doing the way of the cross. That it's that disposition of the soul that 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 opens you up to the grace, and you don't have to go to the yeah. Middle East into an active war zone to do that. No. And you don't you don't have to go to Rome. It could be tremendously edifying, but it's 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 interesting how Rome and the Holy Land right now are very similar. Is that you could go there 
and you could be tremendously edified or you could be terribly scandalized by what's going on. And there's videos of Jews who spit on Christians and as they're walking down the street and so on and so forth. Um, there's a lot of criminality there, obviously, you know, just tourist trappy, kitschy. It's, it's conceivable that you could be scandalized by going there. And remember, um, I believe Islam holds as a precept, as a uh, precept that you have to make Hajj once in your life or something like that. And we don't, we don't have anything like that. You need to go, you need to go to Calvary. You need to go to the foot of the cross. You need to go every Sunday at minimum and and high holy days you need to go to the foot of the cross at the holy sacrifice of the mass which interestingly enough is in or should be in every catholic church on the planet i mean it's right there so that's your pilgrimage that's where you go i was going to say it's not it's not the hodge it's the easter obligation that that once a year you have to go to you have to go to communion you have to go to confession and that's annual but there's no geographic thing to it you have to go to mass every Sunday, but the precept of the church is that you receive Holy Communion. You obviously you would go to confession. It's but the church has to state this because you know we have to state the obvious sometimes. At minimum, once a year, you go to confession and you receive Holy Communion. So the thought being that at, at least once a year you're in a state of grace and you make a sacramental communion. And isn't that interesting? It says right there in absolutely every you know, missile document, catechism, you have to, you have this once a year obligation to make Holy Communion. And people like, I've, I've had people tell me that it's a sin to go to Mass and not receive Holy Communion. Um, I've had people say that priests have told them in the confessional that it's a sin to not receive Holy Communion, no matter what you're committing and that you're committing a sin against um, others, you're con you're you're committing a sin against the group by not receiving Holy Communion, even if you're in a state of mortal sin. Stop and think about that, about what how insidious the infiltrators are and what they're telling people in the confessional. Um, you only you don't need to receive Holy Communion every time you go to Mass. You don't re need to receive Holy Communion every Sunday. If, you're, if you need to go to confession, if you haven't made a sufficient Eucharistic fast, or if you just aren't in the zone, as the young kids say, if you're distracted, if something happened, da da da, da. If, you're just, if you're not there and you're not well disposed and you're not well prepared, you don't have to receive Holy Communion. You can make a spiritual communion. It's okay. Um, it's better to make a spiritual communion than to make a bad sacramental communion. Never make a bad sacramental communion. And by bad, it could be something as subtle as just as just being distracted, just not being focused. You say, well, that means anybody who has small children can never receive. I, I don't know if I, if I quite believe that or not. When I mean distracted, I mean, I mean, what if you just had a fight or, um, you know, there was, you just had some, something just happened. You, um, you were in a wreck, um, anything where you're just, you're just kind of not focused in the present moment. Um, you never, you never just absentmindedly trudge up to the rail and receive ever. I mean, that's, that's, that's no good. You don't treat our Lord like that. I, so I agree with the last part. I agree with that last mm -hmm. part, but the idea of 
of uh, never if you have some kind of distraction or, or have difficulty concentrating that's that's not necessarily a reason not to go to communion and don't don't get um, don't wind yourself up uh, with with, with um, spiritual hypochondria there's a better term for that that I'm forgetting at the minute I, I always blank on obvious terms scruples, the scruples. Yeah, that one scruples. don't get scrupulous about this if you have questions talk to the priest um, talk to a, no talk to a good priest yeah there you go that's an important distinction yeah, in this day and somewhat age, <laughs> <laughs> but but the the you know Satan knows how important the Holy the Holy Eucharist is for us it, it is a self it, it's a salve uh, self, it's salvific as well but it's it's also a medicine for the soul and so he's going to bombard you with, with with all kinds of distractions, and that's part of the that's part of the evils of mass that isn't first thing in the morning, is that uh, like an evening mass or something where you, like which unfortunately is is a reality in a lot of cases for holy days, you may not be able to get to mass before work, so you go to work and then you go to mass after work, and you have all the distractions and thoughts through the days. Everyone who cut you off on on, on the highway between um, work and getting to church. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's one of those things I remember from a sermon once that, uh, sometimes the, the act of trying to fight the temptations and put yourself in a disposition for prayer is what you were supposed to do at that point, because you are making the effort to dispose yourself. It's, it, it's, God doesn't demand that we necessarily achieve something on every try. We have to try. That's actually what we're supposed to achieve is, is to not surrender. And, and so if you are distracted by what's going on in church and you give into that, okay, that's a different, that's a different scenario than if you are distracted by, you know, parents who aren't uh, controlling their kids or something else going on or whatever it is. It, but if you fight against this and you try to keep yourself composed, whether you succeed at this or not, as long as you do not give in and you, you, you need, you, you want that spiritual union with Christ. And again, talk to a good priest if you don't believe Ann or me. But it, it's the the real thing here is to not stop fighting for advancement in the spiritual yeah. life. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there's, there's two other points in there. Um, if you're sick, if you feel like you're going to barf, please don't, don't receive. That would be really, really bad, as you can imagine. Um, and the other thing is, um, like talking about distractions, crying babies. I, I don't think anyone should ever be distracted by crying babies. For me, crying babies just turns into white noise. I mean, it just, and I, and I, from what I can tell from, you know, priests and, and other people that I know who are in the sanctuary, it's kind of the same thing for them. It just turns into a very, not white noise, but brown noise. It just turns into a kind of a muffle. Um, and it, kids have to be, little kids have to be pretty badly behaved for me to be distracted by that. And, you know, but I, I, this is not to say that I think children should be allowed to just absolutely run loose. Um, and I'm always, I always admire tremendously children who are very well behaved in church. In fact, the younger they are and the better behaved they are, the more impressive it is. But, you know, I understand. I don't think kids should be allowed to run loose. But at the same time, I think we as grown adults need to have the intellectual capacity to not just be thrown completely by, you know, any tiny little thing. Um, so talking about distraction and what constitutes distraction and what doesn't. 
Um, the th other things might include um, if you live in an urban area or maybe not even an urban area anymore, and periodically you'll have um, crazy people come into a church and try to cause a disturbance, more and more you're going to have maybe security threats where protesters or BLM people or um, sodomites come in and try to cause a distraction or uh, cause an incident. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're on the crew that has to jump up and do duty on that, that can really, I mean, talk about distraction. If you have to get into a physical altercation with somebody during the course of the mass, that's, that is indeed distracting. So you just need to discern if, if the, if the situation is neutralized by the time Holy Communion comes around, you need to just stop and think about, you know, where am I? Or if you're, if you're pumped on adrenaline and your mind is going 5,000 miles an hour, mm, may, maybe consider making a spiritual communion. Um, if you're just completely, completely um, mentally, mentally in a state of, of low grade shock, you know, just stop, stop and think about it. You can, you can always go back tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. So, um, and there's, like I said, there's always spiritual communion too. Um, who, who was it? Who was the mystic who said that our Lord was, maybe it was Catherine of Siena, or maybe it was, uh, was Therese of Lisieux, that all of our communions, there's two, our Lord has two chalices, one silver and one gold, and the spiritual communions all go into the silver chalice and the sacramental communions all go into the gold chalice. Um, so, they're all good. They're all precious. Um, so there's that. Now, if I just to conclude, to circle back, um, back to the whole Israel-Palestine thing, a um, couple secular points that I wanted to hit was uh, the fact that the, the indications from the beginning are very, very high that what happened was, in fact, green flagged. And it's undeniable now that... <clears throat> um, the United States, the West, that have been engaging in green flag situations in war for quite a long time now. Um, it's pretty much considered common knowledge at this point that Pearl Harbor was a green flag, that they, they knew perfectly well that the Japanese force was coming, had taken off, was on its way, and just left the whole thing there as a sitting duck. Um, the Lusitania was probably a green flag. Um, almost certainly a green flag. And there's indications, strong indications from the beginning. A, there's a whistleblower who's come out and said, and yes, amazing, amazing, you're not going to find this reportage anywhere. A whistleblower has come out and said, look, we were, we were sitting on the tarmac. We were so close that we could hear the gunshots in the kibbutz where the, where the attacks were going on. And they were and the the musloids were killing people in the kibbutz we could hear we could hear the gunshots and we're sitting on the tarmac and we were told to stand down and they wouldn't let us take off and the feedback that came back to that was you should have taken off anyway and that's that's a point in the military chain of command where you just say this is ridiculous we're going in um so there's that and then there's the other question about this this music festival and the location of that was changed at the last minute with no explanation. And it just, it handed, 
it handed tactically the situation to, I mean, are you kidding me? M Musloids and paraglides. I mean, you, you can't even make this up. This is so ludicrous. And, and the, the notion is, and the reportage and the intelligence is, is that Netanyahu and the rest of them, they knew this was coming. And the United States knew that it was coming and they wanted it because one reason is because obviously the thing in Ukraine is that nobody's, nobody's playing that game anymore and everybody's realizing what the deal is and that they've milked, they've milked that for all that they can. So in terms of the Ukraine, they either goad Putin into some sort of a nuclear war or, or goad Putin into invading Poland or something like that. And they don't want to, and they didn't want to do that. So it's time, it's time to start something new. And so the, the Washington DC deep state decides, well, let, let's just go all in. We've, we've wanted a war with Iran forever. Um, that was John McCain's life dream was to have a nuclear war with Iran. Um, it's all of them. It's all of the military industrial complex. That's what they want. It's what they've been driving for. And they're like, well, we're clocks running on all of us. The biological solution, just like with Bergoglio and his ilk, the biological solution is coming for all of them. And so like, well, if we're going to do this, we need to do it now. And so it looks like that's exactly what they did. Ukraine was played. So it's not, it's time to start the next one. And hopefully for them, what they're thinking is the next one will be the one that just goes on forever and ever. They want World War III. The military industrial complex wants World War III. They want war with China. They want war with Russia. They want war in the Middle East. They want war in Africa. They, they just want, for them, all that matters is more war, more profit, and more human population reduction. And that's what it is. So you need to stop and look at this and look at this green flagging of this whole thing. And that was that was the gist of my post. Sit, sit in with stillness and think about, oh, and the, the, obviously the big green flag that I didn't mention was 9-11. Yeah, it, it does seem now in retrospect that, yep, the U.S. knew they had they had tabs on these on these hijackers who were going to these flight schools and just ex almost explicitly saying what they intended to do. Oh, we we want lessons. We want to learn how to fly jumbo jets, uh, but we don't we don't want to learn how to land. We just want to learn how to fly them. Uh, what what do you have to do? What do you have to do to announce your intentions beyond that? Oh, you you say that Tim Osmond sent us. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that all played out and then 9-11 happens and, and every aircraft on the surface of the earth is instantly grounded. Oh, except the ones that the U.S. flew all of the members of the House of Al-Saud out of immediate, out of the United States immediately. Huh, funny that. So, I mean, that's 9-11 is, is one of the biggest green flags that will probably go down in history. Just a, a government sitting back and letting something like this happen. Sit in stillness with how evil, evil the Zionist government would have to be to know that something like that was coming and to let it happen. The other thing I want to mention in closing, last point about that music festival. Funny how nobody talks about what, what was going on 
at that music festival. This was a this was a music festival that was kind of similar to what what do they do? The Burning Man and the Coachella and all of those things. Folks, nothing good or wholesome happens at any of those music festivals. And like I said, remember, Israel is almost entirely militant atheist and Tel Aviv is per capita the most sexually perverted city on earth. It's basically the new Sodom. And so what do you imagine a bunch of young people were doing at a music festival like that? Are we, are we going to talk about that? Yeah, it's horrible that they were, that the, the flying monkey Palestinians paraglided in and massacred and massacred all of them. But, you know, don't, don't kid yourselves into thinking that this was like out of some episode of 1957 Mickey Mouse Club where they're all sitting around listening to, listening to records. That's, that's not what those music festivals are like. Those are some of the most overtly satanic events that go on publicly on earth today. So just, you, you have to have the capacity for nuanced thought and to put all of this together and say, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm not going to fall for this, this demand that I go in a thousand percent for either one of these sides because they're both awful. The way Putin is awful, Ukraine is awful, they're both awful. I'm not going all in. The only one who I'm all in for is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his one holy Catholic and apostolic church, period, full stop. And when it comes to Israel and the church, well, especially Our Lady, who is the mother of the church, uh, don't forget that that um, St. Michael was the personal guardian angel, not just of Our Lady, but also of the Israeli people, or I should, not the Israeli people, the the people of the Old Testament, I should say. And by extension, he has a special. Well, that's Israel. I mean, that's the true. That's the true meaning of the word Israel. Right. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, you know, name Israel. That that is the name of that. But at the point I made before, Israel is now us. It's that that no longer exists in the way that it existed in the Old Testament. It Israel is us now. And and that's yeah. where I was going with that is that. And anybody who is is part of the true faith, anybody who's Catholic, we we have a claim to a, a special relationship with Saint Michael, and uh, I I always make a, a comment toward the end of the podcast about uh, send, send ideas for happy notes to end the podcast on, and and I wanted to close with this one because it kind of goes with what we were saying also, but it's also a happy note and, and encouraging as well. Is is fostering devotion to Saint Michael. I'll put some links in the mm -hmm. show notes about that. But one of the stories that that um, I wanted to share, it was something I heard recently, uh, was was uh, somebody who didn't lead the best life, but he always maintained a devotion to St. Michael. And and on his deathbed, he he made a, a prayer to St. Michael. He knew he needed a, to, to have a, he needed to see a priest. At, at that moment, his, his friends, because he hadn't even, um, he had been resisting seeing a priest or or asking for one, but on on the on his on the day of his death, he, he changed his mind and said, "Yes, I, I need to see a priest." So his friends, uh, really uh, animated by this, said, "Okay, let me go try to find one." Gets just a few feet out of the house and runs into two Dominican friars who said, "We were told uh, to come see this guy because he needed to see a priest." Um, and <laughs> you know, surprise all around. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, I he just said it. <laughs> I mean, how did you know in advance? Yeah. But um, St. Michael knows a few things and um, tongue yeah. in cheek, St. Michael calls on Dominicans. So um, he, he, he calls for the best. So the, the, the guy did get, get his confession heard. He did die with the sacraments. Um, 
and and, and so don't forget the, these these stories. Um, yes, as Catholics, we have the best stories, and they're true stories, and they should resonate with all of us because we are purchased like the like the literal dirt in, in Israel. We are purchased with the blood of Christ as well, and if we want yep. the the gift of salvation, and we are serious about it, and we really want it, if necessary, God will work a miracle to make sure that we die in His grace. So keep that in mind, and and don't neglect calling on Saint Michael, Saint Tiny Princess, and the entire communion of saints. Uh, if, if you are serious that you want to save your soul, God will work a miracle if necessary to make it happen. And we just had the feast of all saints. And, you know, it occurred to me that, um, what, what day is St. Tiny Princess's feast day? Well, November, it's 1st. November 1st, isn't it? <laughs> so she's included. And, you know, again, thinking during the mass on all saints that, that, almost everyone in the beatific vision who's in the beatific vision right now is completely totally unknown and forgotten on earth almost every human being who has ever lived is completely totally forgotten on earth but isn't isn't it even uh, an interesting point of humility that almost everyone in the beatific vision is also forgot on earth because remember you don't have to be raised to the altars by the church militant to be in the beatific vision. All, all being raised to the altars on earth means is that the church has, has identified that, yes, you can reliably be very sure that that person is in the beatific vision. You say, well, Anne, we know that St. Tiny Princess is in the beatific vision because she was baptized and confirmed and um died without ever having the capacity to ever commit any sort of a personal sin. Yes, um, that that is true. Um, she hasn't been raised to the altars yet, but maybe if we get maybe if we get enough miracles, uh, <laughs> we can we can make a, a pitch for her cause. But traditionally, um, infants are not are not raised to the altars because one of the other characteristics about people who are raised to the altars is that they lived a life of heroic virtue and that we can um, we can model our lives after their heroic virtue. And it's kind of understood that that infants, um, as we've talked about before, um, they don't have the opportunity to to do things like that and to, to merit in that way. Um, so, you know, that's that's the grace that we all have every morning when the sun rises. We have another opportunity to advance in sanctity and to and to have our seat moved up a little bit closer to the triune godhead and to our lady in the beatific vision and so that's what we're that's what we're trying to do every single day and you know saint tiny princess she never had the opportunity to do that but she still had she still had such an effect on so many people and she can now intercede for us so don't forget about her as we're here in the octave of all saints and speaking of in the octave of all saints, I would be massively remiss if I didn't say uh, something about the devotion to the poor souls as well. These are people Indeed. who will be in heaven and mm -hmm. uh, they, they are, they cannot do anything to merit for themselves anymore. They are in purgatory. They are suffering immensely for the imperfections and forgiven sins uh, that, that, uh, that they committed during their lives, the, the imperfections of their soul, but you can merit for them. And, depending upon what you offer up uh, during this, this octave of the, the, the Feast of All Souls, going to, the, going to a cemetery, praying for the poor souls. This, is, this has a plenary indulgence attached to it. And I saw something um, somewhere online in this last week talking about uh, 
when souls get to heaven, assuming they get to heaven, but he, but if you get to, when you get to heaven, you're going to be greeted by a whole bunch of people you've never seen before who are thanking you. That's right. The souls yeah. who, who you popped out of purgatory by your prayers, by your sacrifices and offering things up. These, these are souls who will never be ungrateful in any way, shape or form. And, and I, I, I gave yeah. the, I gave the, the story of St. Michael and, and, um, uh, providing for the, the, the Dominicans for the, for the guy who was at the point of death. There are countless stories of the poor souls um, and, and, and intervening um, for people on earth, whether it's temporally or spiritually, they, they will never be ungrateful. So in, in terms of who, if you, if you have the need of needing someone, someone to pray for or some cause to pray for, and you just don't know what it is. I mean, it's a target rich environment in the, in the world right now, but if you still have something else you want to, you know, to offer up prayers for, don't forget the poor souls. They are, they cannot go to hell. They're, they're going to go to heaven at some point and they will not be ungrateful. As I was at mass on, on all souls, I was thinking, just imagine not being able to pray for yourself. And that that's the position that they're in. They cannot pray for themselves. We pray, we pray for ourselves. In fact, we are, we are told by Holy Mother Church that we must pray for ourselves every single day. Imagine the position that they're in, that they can't pray for themselves. And hopefully, um, all of us are, are someday going to find ourselves almost certainly in that position. And when I say almost certainly, I mean, um, what I'm not saying it's, it's, certain that I that I'm going to heaven or that's not what I'm saying I'm saying um, those who die in friendship with Christ almost everyone has to go to purgatory first um, the martyrs go straight to heaven and it's and you know literal living saints go straight to heaven almost everybody else who dies in a state of grace and dies in friendship with Christ goes to purgatory so the assumption is is that if we persevere in the faith and and we die in a state of grace that we too someday will be in purgatory and we won't be able to pray for ourselves now stop and think about that that's quite a thought that's an intimidating thought and so again bringing up the word transactional not to be transactional but yeah you would do well <laughs> very well to pray for all the poor souls and think about all of the people who will be liberated from purgatory and enter into the beatific vision during your lifetime between now and when you die all of those people will then be in the beatific vision that you were praying for and that they'll be able to pray for you when you're in purgatory and you'll be in a position when you won't be able to pray for yourself um so i mean it's there's so much to think about it's it's the two feasts together are so incredibly rich theologically they're just rich in every sense of the word and so continue on the whole month of november is for the poor souls and then we're still in the octave um in fact, I don't know. This will probably this will probably be published after the conclusion of the octave. But still, um, so much to think about and think about yourself. And as I believe it's the rule of Saint Benedict says, keep death before your eyes every day. Think about death, not not in a macabre way, but just keeping yourself grounded and 
and uh, thinking about the communion of saints and how, as I think Father Z has used the turn of phrase several times this week, we're all in this together in, in the church. Um, church militant, church suffering, and church triumphant. We're all in this together. So keep praying and have a wonderful, blessed rest of November, although I'm sure we'll do another podcast before the before Thanksgiving. So. That's certainly the plan, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> things always things always come up, so it's it's difficult to make plans, especially about the future. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> well said. <laughs> the email address for the podcast, where you can send feedback or comments. That email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to her benefactors. There's at least one traditional Catholic Latin Mass said for all of the benefactors every single day. And then for everybody who's died in the previous week, there's a traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass prayed for everybody, or who, that a Mass is said for everybody who died in the previous week. Please pray for the priests. I know I say it every single podcast. I try to come up with a different way to, to explain it and, and expound upon it. I mentioned the, the story of, of St. Michael summoning the, the Dominicans. In this day and age, um, the number of, of priests available, I mean, God will work a miracle if necessary, but um, the the priests are getting fewer and farther between, especially the the ones who can, who are really good at at, at um, well at the point of death any priest will do. Uh, let's, let's be clear about that. But in terms of um, spiritual guidance and and how how few people actually take advantage of having a spiritual director, that can be a big difference between uh, have having a fruitful spiritual life and just sort of wandering along and trying to get it right. But pray for the priests. They've, they've got it harder than we can imagine. But also don't forget that, um, as Father Z says, we're all in this together. There's the uh, communion of saints, and that includes St. Tiny Princess. Um, if you don't know who she is, she was my, my daughter who was born with a severe genetic condition. She was baptized and confirmed and then was with us for less than a year. And now she is in the beatific vision and will be for all time. And... Um, Many of you knew heard, heard the podcast at that time. Some of you have heard since, but um, she's definitely part of the Barnhart podcast family. So don't forget to invoke her assistance. She um, is not going to fail you in that regard. The Barnhart podcast is a value for value podcast. If you got some value out of this podcast, whether it's just ideas, entertainment, um, spiritual food for thought, whatever it is, if you'd like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com and you can learn more about that. Uh, via the mailbox. It's been a little while, just over a month since we did our last podcast. But then again, that uh, your vid- your third part video came out, so there was content in between. But since the last podcast, uh, via the mailbox, we got something from Anonymous. Uh, says, thanks for all you do. Kenneth says, please pray for my son and his girlfriend uh, to worship God and for Kay to find a good job. Rick says, thank you, Ann and Super Nerd. And that, that's the, norm, the, the Rick that, that um, comes in from time to time. I uh, got a donation also from Study Steven and Mark One. Um, and I say, I, I call him that because there's an, a Mark Two down, down below. Mark One says, no note, but thank you, sir. Via the web, which could be debit card, credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, all that stuff. I want to thank a few people. Brendan, who says, thanks for keeping Ann on track during the podcasts. Well, at least you try and the efforts are almost nearly as hilarious as edifying. Um, thank you, Brendan. Hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, two donations from P, just a small amount to help you out. Uh, Mary says, thank you for all of your hard work supporting my favorite websites. Uh, Mark 2, because there was two different Marks who, who donated, 
says returning some value for value. And he said something about graphic design. I need to follow up about that because graphic design is not exactly my strong suit. All you have to do is see supernerdmedia.com to see that. Um, but enough <laughs> about me. Uh, Joseph donated to support latinmass.live. Uh, Kyle says returning value for value. Okay, it's a popular theme today. Thank you for all you do. I plan to contribute more in the future. Hey, whatever is whatever is fine with you, Kyle. I'm that, that's cool with me too. And then monthly subscriber Paul says, please pray for my daughter's conversion and return to the faith. Absolutely, sir. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and if you're wondering what your what support to supernerdmedia.com is funding, um, please visit supernerdmedia.com and you can see a list of, of some of the websites that that pays for whether it's Anne's, nurse claire's uh none of any marks these are the hosting that's the hot backup uh, making sure that if Anne says something about some group that uh, is not allowed to be offended and her website gets nuked i've got live backups of those on my my host uh, on my server in my house i can get that republished to a different server pretty quickly so that's what that's paying for and if you want to learn more about that please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more and at this point, I have said everything in my notes and my wrap up. So it goes to Anne for Matthew 1720. Our fourfold intention, keep praying. Just because Pope Benedict died doesn't change anything except one little phrase in the Matthew 1720 intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope from April of 2005 until his death on December 31st, 2022, and for the Petrine Sea in say, that it be filled according to God's will and in his good time with with a good and holy, a holy man, a good and holy Pope, um, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and do penance so that he might someday achieve the beatific vision and for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict Ratzinger. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Nacho Mama demon, pray for us. Amen. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Forward, forward, ever forward.